Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. So Matthew 24, no, Matthew 13. I just, I don't like in between 13 and 24. It's not good chapters. I'm just kidding. So we're going to pick up in 13, 24, the parable of the weeds. Um, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, don't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who are evil, all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So let's begin by talking about the parable of the weeds. Again, we see Jesus using a parable uh, concerning seed. Um, the picture that Jesus is painting here uh, to the listeners, it's very clear. Um, it's very familiar to the everyday lives of the crowd. Um, if you've ever done any gardening or even if you have a yard, you know how quickly weeds form and take over um, everywhere. Uh, whatever you don't want to grow will grow. And what you do want to grow will grow where you don't want it to grow. I don't know why my grass can't grow in the yard, but the seeds get thrown into my garden bed and the grass just blooms there, right? And you're just like, it's crazy. So in the, uh, Jesus is talking about weeds and in this particular, particular area, and what he says, he doesn't say weeds, he says tares, uh, T-A-R-E, uh, T-A-R-E-S, tares. Um, and there is a particular tear in this um, region called the bearded darnel or bearded darnel. I don't know how to say it. I'm not a gardener. Didn't care enough to look. Okay. So uh, this is a picture of the bearded darnel on the left. And there is wheat on the right. Okay. And in this stage, in the later stages, it can, it can even be difficult to tell um, the difference. Okay. 
um, apart from wheat. Um, when they finally produce seed heads like this, you can begin to see a little bit of difference uh, between the bearded darnel and the wheat. Um, but even in, but in the earliest stages, even trained eyes cannot tell the difference between wheat and this uh, bearded darnel. Okay, uh, they're so fim- so similar, in fact, uh, that the Jews called the bearded darnel bastard wheat. Okay, um, and the Hebrew word that Jesus used for tares, uh, which is uh, zunim, is actually connected to the word uh, zena, which means fornication. Okay, so the popular story amongst Jews at the time was that the origin of these weeds came about in the time of wickedness, which came prior to the flood. That all creation went astray and committed fornication and brought forth something that was contrary to nature. And the idea was that these weeds were actually wheat that had gone wrong. That, that's what the Jews believed, that this, this was actually wheat that had gone wrong, that came about um, in the fallen world. Um, and in its later stages, there's a more noti- noticeable difference. But by that time, by the time you can notice the difference in these two different plants, the, the roots are already intertwined so that if you begin to pick up uh, the bearded darnel, or should I just refer to it as bastard weed over and over, um, <laughs> um, you will pull up the roots of the wheat as well. So if you begin to pull up, by the time you can tell the difference, if you begin to pull up the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat. And so there will be nothing there to even harvest, okay? So it's common practice. It was common practice for them at the time to allow them to grow together until the time of harvest where it was separated by hand. They had to separate it by hand. Um, And they had to be separated, okay? Maybe in today's day and age, they'd just be like, just put it all together and sell it. Um, Get some, just put some GMOs in it, you know? And, um, but uh, the grain of this particular weed is actually slightly poisonous, okay? So it had to be removed. It caused like dizziness and nausea and sickness. It, it almost had like a little bit of a narcotic effect, um, but it was also very bitter. And so the grain would be set out on a large tray, um, and they had to separate it from the wheat because ingesting it would, was bad. It, it was bad for you to ingest this particular weed, so this idea of an enemy um, sowing this seed intentionally um, meant that not just like, hey, they meant to ruin the crops. I mean, this could cause negative consequences for anyone who partook of this wheat, okay? Um, and this idea of an enemy sowing uh, weeds into someone's field is not a far-fetched idea, okay? Um, in, in this area and even in India, um, I, don't, I don't know if they still do it today, but up until the 70s and 80s when the book I read, said up until this time, uh, they would threaten their enemies by saying, I will sow bad seed in your field. Um, I was going to tell you a story, but it paints me in a bad light, so I'm not going to tell that story. Um, and even in Roman law, uh, the crime was forbidden and had um, designated punishment if you were to sow weeds in a neighbor's field. So this is something that actually happened. I mean, if there's a law about it, it's because something happened. When, when I worked at the hospital, every rule that we had that just kept coming came. People were like, why is that a rule? That's a stupid rule. Have you ever said that in your life? Why is that a rule? That's a stupid rule. You're like, well, because some stupid person did it. And now we have to have a stupid rule about it that we all have to follow because some idiot, and that's what I say, praise God. I'm just kidding. But you're like, that's, we have a stupid rule because people do that stuff, okay? Um, so 
This was actually something that people did, so they would understand. So this picture Jesus is painting um, is not foreign at all. They understand every single concept he's laying down. When he brings up the weeds in, in the field of wheat, they know which weed he's talking about. Um, they know what it does. They know it has to be separated. They know why it has to be separated. They know the enemy sow this in the field. So this, this completely makes sense to them. It, it's a little bit harder for us to grasp since we don't deal in that. I think if Jesus were here today, the parables he would teach would be a little bit different, but they understood, okay? They knew why it had to grow together. They understood what he was saying. Jesus always took the here and now and what they understood to explain a more difficult concept, the there and then, okay? Something that was something they needed to understand about the kingdom of heaven. And he explains that the one who sowed the, old, the good seed is a son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom, the believers. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy uh, who sows the seed is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. So let's talk for a minute about, let's go a little bit more in depth about why the weeds are allowed to stay. Okay, because actually in this parable, this is a very simple answer he's giving, but it actually explains in some way the question most people ask of why is there evil in the world? Why has God, if God is good, why has God allowed evil to be in the world? And Jesus is answering that question in a simple form right here, but we'll go more in depth um, so that we can all understand what he's saying. So, um, if God is good, why is there so much evil? Okay, um, in a recent movie um, that I didn't watch, I was watching The Chosen, but one of my friends called and told me they were watching this secular movie. Um, I'm just kidding. So there was a villain who was trying to recreate Earth, basically, um, but without any evil in it. He's trying to recreate it. He's doing experiments and trying to create a world without any, any bad things in it. But it ends up going the same way Earth did. There was, there was uh, fighting and there was drugs and murder. So he decides to blow it up and start over. All right, that experiment didn't work. I'm going to blow it up. I'm going to start over. And we as the viewer, we're not explained this person is evil. They're not saying this person's bad. We understand that he's bad because of this. They, 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 they're telling us he's a bad guy by telling us his plan because we know that it's an evil plan. We know, we understand based on his actions that he's the villain, okay? Um, he has no value in life. This man is not good, okay? So that was his plan to get rid of evil, to destroy everything and start over. Um, so let's talk about it. Um, the options that God has to rid the world of evil, okay? And we're going to be pretty basic here. This is just like, we're not going to go too much into apologetic depth. We're just going to touch on it. Okay, first of all, um, one thing that I've heard is like, why did he put the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Why give him the option, Right? If God didn't put that tree in there and say, don't go there, nothing would have happened, right? And they also say, why didn't he just eliminate the devil? Why does he allow the devil to, to live, to influence us, right? If these two things, if he had taken care of these two things, there wouldn't be sin in the world. Everything would be good. I've heard both of these suggestions. 
And, and if those things were done, the world would be a perfect place, okay? Well, God is love. And he explains what love is. But if we have no choice, okay, if there is no tree, if he does not allow the devil to live, we have no choice to do good or evil. And if good is the only option, we have no free will. We are not choosing God. We're not choosing to follow him. We're not choosing to be good. We're forced to do so because that is the only option we have. There is no alternative, right? It's like we are like robots with one programming to do good. You know, I watch a lot of sci-fi movies. And in some sci-fi movies, there are like, like you know, I don't know what they're called. Um, I should have wrote this down. But like, there's like robots and like as they discover they have choice and they can disobey their code and disobey their function for, it's like this, everyone in the, in the audience is like, they're understanding humanity. They're, they're understanding freedom. That robot is becoming human. What are they? Are they replicant? I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so and we understand like, okay, this thing is beginning to be free and we see that as a good thing that they can that these robots or humanoids are like understanding they can do something apart from their programming. Does everybody understand that? Okay. C3PO can't do anything apart from his programming. That's why he's a coward. Okay? He cannot choose courage. Okay? So we would be like robots with the only programming to do good. So any relationship we would have with God would not be based on love or choice but just going along with the only option there is, right? If we, I always explain in books or movies because I've read a lot, like if, if there was a guy that had um, trapped a woman in a hole with them and they fell in love and she found out at the end of the movie that he had just trapped her there so she would fall in love with them because he didn't want her to find anybody else, we would see, oh, that guy's a villain, right? He trapped her. He made her love him by being the only option, right? That's essentially what God would have been doing. It wouldn't be, wouldn't be deep down love and you would know it, right? Um, so if we saw this in a movie, when we see it, this type of thing, we understand that's, that's not really good. That's forced, okay? And so since God made us in his image, he gave us choice. He gave us free will. We have the same freedom that he has, okay? And it, whether or not the tree was there or not, right? Because we have free will, because we've been given free will, whether the tree was there or not, there would always be the option to disobey at some point down the line. Men would always have, like we always say, like, oh, if Adam had only not sinned, if Eve had only not taken the apple, like, do you think like one person's mis like sin, like be like, because everyone else would have been perfect. You know, I would have been perfect if not for these two people right? It would have fallen. I mean, what, their kid commits murder, right? That's a little bit worse. I don't know in my book. I don't know about you. But we, it would have happened somewhere down the line, men would have fallen, okay? And because there is sin, because we have the choice, free will to not follow God, because there is sin, there are consequences to sin. And really, that is what we want to avoid, the consequences of sin. And I'm not talking about the punishment of sin. Obviously, everyone wants to avoid the punishment of sin. But we want to avoid the consequences of sin. What happens to us, what happens in our world because of sin. Okay, a person is angry and they think to attack someone. They think to murder someone. Well, Jesus says in the Bible that the thought is the sin. 
okay? The action isn't the sin. It's, it's acting on the thought, which is the sin, okay? So uh, um, the actual murder is the consequence of sin. We don't actually mind if someone thinks, I mean, you might mind if someone thinks about murdering, right? It doesn't, it doesn't bother us as much as some as, as, as acting out the sin, right? I mean, all of us drive by a bank. You drive by a bank, we all think of robbing it, right? I mean, who doesn't? Just me? Okay. I'm just kidding. I don't really do that. All right. But the loss of life is a consequence of sin, right? Sexual perversion is a consequence of sin, right? We, 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 I always talk about it, but like if, if, if we have porn everywhere and it's easy to see and every little kid has access to it and people look at this stuff over and over again, they are satisfied less and less with what is normal. It's just, it just how it works. It, that's how it works with drugs. If you do a little bit of drugs, it's great, but then it doesn't work anymore, so you do more. Same thing, same thing with like sexual appetites. So all these things that we don't like in the world are consequences of sin, consequences of a first thought that was the sin, okay? So what, what can God do to eliminate sin? What could God do? Uh, let's talk about his options, Okay. Well, we talked about the first one. He could make us not do these things, right? Which goes back to the first point, which would be re removing our free will or choice. And since he's love and since he's good, he's not going to do that. He wants a real relationship. He wants us to have real freedom. So what else could he do? He could take out, and this is probably the one that we want, right? He could take out the person who does evil prior to the evil being committed, right? Someone's going to do something. God knows they're going to do something. Take them out. Got to keep them separated. Oh, it's cool. Um, <laughs> right? So take them out. Okay? Uh, before they go through with it. And actually, again, to the movies, guys. You guys got to get some movies. You'll understand me some more. So there's this movie called Minority Report with um, this actor who has a bunch of alien goo in his head and he pays to get it taken out through Scientology, named Tom Cruise. Um, and in this movie, they would arrest people before they committed a crime. And you know, they actually have algorithms right now to predict who will commit crimes and where. So <laughs> life's going good. Uh, but they, so they, um, they, they arrest him before he's committed a crime. And we as the audience are like, that's not fair. He hasn't done it yet. That's not just. Does that seem just if you were, like, arrested before you committed a crime? Just, no. You wouldn't think it. Everyone's like, I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. There's some people I'd like arrested. Um, but so God could take people out before they do evil, right? Either take away the option or take them out before they do evil. But imagine if that were to happen. How could he do it? He could rip out the weed and then make us all forget we ever had relationship with that person so it wouldn't hurt, right? That seems a little evil. Or he could just take them out and then we're left to deal with the hurt and the pain from that person being taken out, right? Or being removed, okay? So what would that be like? We, we would think that's not fair. That's not just. Because we love that person, Okay, we would want, if God took this person out, removed them before they were to commit a crime, we would, we would say, well, I wish he'd been more patient. I wish he'd been more merciful. 
I wish he had given the, them the chance to change their mind. I wish I had known because then I could have said something to them and I could have maybe changed their mind. I could have maybe, maybe there was hope for another existence, okay? Would we not? That's what we'd want if we love that person. That is what we want, okay? So because God is just, he's not going to do that because we know in our hearts that that is not just, to, to punish someone or take something away from someone or remove them before they do evil, okay? And, and think about it. In God's mind, sin is the thought. Whoa, could you guard your mind so much that you don't even think of sin? I do every day. But for the rest of us, I'm just kidding. Um, just kidding. If you don't know me, I like to poke pun, at, poke pun. I make puns up that are poking people. Um, I like to poke fun at like some of the image, imagery we have of pastors. Um, I sprout wings and I fly sometimes. It's great. Um, but because God is just and God is love, he wants the same thing that we would want for the people that we love. He wants the th- same thing. Time for them to come to the truth. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's aware of the situation. He's patient. He wants everyone to come to repentance. He allows the weeds to grow with the wheat, Because he is patient and he is full of mercy. He desires for everyone to be saved. That's his heart. And as much as we don't like evil or the consequences of evil, when we take it and look at it being someone that we love, it changes our perspective and we become more patient and merciful toward the person that we know. But if there is so much evil in the world... Why bother even creating us? And that can be a difficult one to explain to people who do, because we have kind of a difficulty with grasping unconditional love. It's a hard concept to understand. The best I can do, and I use this one often, is to explain to someone with children, let's say your child or all of your children become Murderers, the age of 20, become murderers at the age of 20. Would you, if you could go back in time, if you could go back in time, would you take your mom to the prom so your dad, no, I'm just kidding. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. Back to the future, Jen, come on now. Don't look at me like that. Just watch some movies. Um, that's my sister, so I can talk to her like that. Um, so let's say if you go back in time, you know that they become murderers, 8 to 20. If you could go back in time, would you keep them from ever being born? I mean, if you're being honest, you wouldn't because you would remember the 19 years that led to that and the goodness and the joy they brought to your life and the love you have for them and the hopes you had for them and there would be a hope that maybe they could still turn around 
and come back and still become the child that you knew and still become the person you hoped them to be, you, you wouldn't. You could not eliminate that relationship because it, it's so dear to you. It's so dear to you. You couldn't imagine a world not knowing them. And you would hope, even knowing that they would turn into someone you didn't want them to be, even knowing that ahead of time, your desire would be for them to have the time and the chance to turn back because you love them and you would show mercy to them. You would still want them to be created. And that is why God still made us because of the relationship that we have. That's God's love for us. But he didn't just wait and hope. Waiting and I'm hoping. He sends his son to die to make a way that all might turn around and come back to him. And he makes it easy. He makes it easy for us. He pays the price. He pays the cost that we might turn and come. He makes a way. He doesn't just hope and wait and everything just turns out. I want, I desire a relationship. I desire them to turn. And so I'm going to make a way to, to, that people could come back and still become, no matter what they've done, they can still become who they were created to be. They can still become who they were meant to be. They can still do the thing I created them for. And that's the beauty. If you talk to any Christian, no matter what period in their life they got saved, no matter how young, no matter how old, God takes it and can still turn that life around no matter how low, no matter how low, and even take the situations that we've fallen into and use them for his glory to reach others who have fallen in that same sin. God can still do it. And his desire is to make everyone, is, is, to, is for everyone to make their way to him. Everyone, that's his desire. And so, as Christians, when our lives change, he gives us a great commission to spread the word, to share his love, to lead others to him. The same commission he gave to the disciples so long ago. And it must have seemed daunting to them. If you think it's daunting now, think how daunting it was to them. Just like 12 guys in the world spread this message throughout the world. But he tells them, look, look at the mustard seed. It's small. It's tiny. No one thinks much will come from it, but it grows beyond expectation so that one day there will be those who take shelter in its branches. In Ezekiel 31, Ezekiel is prophesying about a great and mighty kingdom. And in Ezekiel 31, 6, he says, All the birds of the sky nested in its bows. All the animal boughs, all the animals of the wild gave birth under its branches. All the great nations lived in its shade. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is talking about the same thing here in Matthew. They're prophesying what God is going to do with this small seed in Ezekiel. Has small beginnings, but it will go throughout the world. He then uses another parable that seems very similar to the mustard seed, but it actually expands on the same idea by saying the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. Just a little yeast mixed in changes the character of the entire dough. It changes the character of the entire dough. Unleavened bread is hard and dry, but bread baked with leaven is soft and spongy and delicious, right? 
It is the cause of our weight gain, bread, right? Because it's so delicious. Just a little bit of heaven can change the world. Just a little bit of heaven can change the world. It can transfer. And it already has. It already has. It began even then in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 11. Says, or Paul says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Listen closely to what he says. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. That is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of your God. We think we're facing things today that they didn't face then. Paul's sitting here saying, look at all these things. You, you were that. Some of us were that, but we're not anymore because the blood of the lamb. We've been washed. We've been set free. He names like 20 things there. And he's talking to Christians in a church and said, some of, some of us were that. And in that time, they weren't all like, was it you? Was it you? Who was it? Who was it? It wasn't you. Was it, was it, it wasn't me. It was you, right? And we kind of do that now. But such were some of you, but not anymore because you've been changed. A little, a little yeast changed everything. They'd been transformed by the blood of the lamb and the power of the Holy Spirit. Christianity, Christianity, and not just in individual lives. See, Christian, God makes a change in our lives, and then we go and change around us, okay? And it is evidence. You, you might not be aware of all the things that Christianity, and when I talk about Christianity, I'm talking about God, okay? I'm not talking about the organization, okay? That God has changed throughout the world. Transform life for women, for the weak, right? In, in pagan life, the weak and the sick were considered nothing more than a nuisance, in, in some places, people would have weak um, babies. They would, they would check them out. If they were girls, they would toss them in the street. If they were weak, if they had a, some deformity, they would toss them in the street. They would just leave them to die. It changed life for these children because when God came into people's lives, it, we began to see the value of life, that God loves them too. The first blind asylum was founded by a Christian monk, the first hospital by a Christian lady. Christianity was the first faith to be interested in caring for the weak and the sick. And that's just the beginning, not just the gospel, not, not just has the gospel of Jesus Christ been thread, spread through the world, but the love of God has been spread by people living their lives as Jesus called us to and caring for those around us. The world we live in right now not just the United States, the world, and even the United States, we have put, we have done so many things through organizations that are Christian organizations that we have sent out into the world to feed, clothe, house, heal. Those are all Christian organizations. You can try to take God out of school and government and take him out of everything, but he's so ingrained in the very fabric of our society, it cannot be done. It cannot be done. And God is continuing to change the world he, through us. He's continuing to change our lives. Just a little bit of yeast. I know every Christian, everyone who's come to truly follow Christ can say, yeah, just a little bit of God, just a little bit of that yeast that began so long ago has changed my life so exponentially that I'm a totally different person than I was so long ago. I'm a totally different person than I was so long ago because of just intro the introduction of Jesus Christ in my life. And it changed everything. And just as God can take one person who is a sinner 
who's a slave to sin and turn me around and make me into something totally different so he can do with the world, so he can do with the people around us, so he can do with our problems. And just like the yeast, God is moving unseen. No matter what is breaking, no matter what is falling apart, maybe your kids are murderers, God, hopefully not, God is still moving. God is still moving even when we're not. Even when we are stuck still, even when we've stopped praying for things because we've prayed it so many times and it's not working, God is still moving in that situation. God is still moving for those people we've given up on because God cares for those people more than we do because he loves them more than we do. So as Christians, sometimes we look around and it feels like we are surrounded by weeds. I don't even know what's, what's a true wheat. Everyone's dressed up like wheat. But I just feel surrounded by wheat. And maybe like the disciples, it's like, man, are there 12 of us? Are there 12 of us against the whole world? Do you ever feel like it's you against the world? You, you against the workplace, 12 of you versus the world. And God, and this is saying, my desire is for everyone, and I am acting for everyone, and I am using you. And do not forget that I work in the unseen, and I work from small things and grow into mighty things so that the people that you're praying for, the people you have given up on, will take refuge and shelter underneath the tree that I have grown while you were sleeping. That is how good God is. We cannot remove him from our world. We cannot take him out. He is too big. He is too ingrained, unseen, unknown. God is doing great and mighty things. Amen? And that is who we put our hope in. Amen? And that is who we put our trust in. Amen? So when you get tempted to look around at the weeds and give up, know that your God is the one who sowed the seed and he will have his way with his field. Amen? Amen. So let's stop getting disappointed and discouraged by what we see around us, discouraged by the situations. Know that God is in control. God is in control. God is still moving. God is doing a great and mighty thing out of something small. God is doing a great and mighty thing in the unseen, and God is changing everything because God is the only one who has the power to take a tear and turn it into wheat. Take it from something that destroys and turn it into something that is useful, something that is productive, something of value. He has done it with me. Has he done it with you? Has he done it with you? He will do it with the world. God is moving. God is still working. God is still calling people to him. He will reign in glory. He reigns in glory. One day we will see him reign in glory, but he reigns in in glory now. So don't hang our heads Let's not hang our heads, be frustrated, be angry. God is in control. God is in control. Unseen, but unseen in power. Amen? Lord, we just thank you and we praise you that you are moving. We thank you that you are always moving, Lord, that you never stop moving, that you move while we sleep, that you move for people that we've forgotten to pray about. You are still moving because you still care. I just, I just pray, Lord, that we would turn our eyes to you, that we would turn our eyes to you, that we would see the truth as it is, that we would see you as who you are, King of kings and Lord of lords, who sits upon the throne, 
you sit upon the throne, Lord. I thank you that your heart, that we sit here and complain about the evil and question your decisions and wonder why you do things, Lord. Your heart is for us. And your heart is for the people that we love. And your heart is for good. You are love and you are just and you are kindness and goodness and mercy and faithfulness. And I thank you that these decisions are in your hands and in your care and not in ours. And as your people, we say we love you and we trust you with everything. We will turn our eyes to you. We will trust you, Lord. Knowing that you're moving in the unseen and you are taking small things and turning him into great and mighty things for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.